0: Presented by Collider
1: Health. All right, welcome into a Tuesday edition of One Bill's Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. If you're on our uh, radio listening side of the ledger, you heard Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean address the media in their season ending wrap up press conferences. Uh, Brandon Bean just wrapping up now. And uh, if you're on the TV side, you were watching Sabres Live. So don't worry if you missed the press conference. In its live version, Steve and I will bring you up to speed on all the high points of the ground that was covered. There was nothing tremendously earth-shattering that we heard from either head coach Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean. Um, But there were some interesting nuggets that took place, and we'll get to those in short order here. Um, Before we do that, we got a little housekeeping that we would like to do in terms of going around the NFL, because the head coaching carousel continues to spin. And that means as jobs are filled, there are assistant positions that are open as well. And there are some bills assistants that have been mentioned. We know Joe Brady interviewed for the head coaching job with the Falcons last week. Now he's in the same pool with people like Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh, but still in all he interviewed and then The report came down today that the New York Giants have requested an interview with Bills linebackers coach Bobby Babich for their vacant defensive coordinator position. Babich, as we know, moved to linebackers coach with the Bills from the secondary uh, after his dad, Bob Babich, retired and has done a world of good for the linebacker unit this season, not only in terms of having Terrell Bernard ready to roll in his second year in the league first as a starter running the defense, but also the improvement that we saw Tyrell Dodson make through the course of this season from the time he was first thrust into the lineup. And we all know the work that he did with Poyer and Hyde over the years. So you understand why he is a commodity and we'll have to see how that progresses uh, going forward. I mean, he's he's a good young coach with a lot of good pedigree. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of this going on. Bills aren't alone in this.
0: This is going on all over. The, it's the coaching season. And we've talked about some of the coaching openings around the NFL that have happened, you know, during the season and now that are happening as the season ends. There's a lot of coaches out there who are not, not only looking for work, but wondering if they're going to have work. Um, uh, the stuff going on in New York is really intriguing for, for the Buffalo situation because you get, you know, a guy like John Butler, he knows those guys in New York. He knows Brian Dayball and Joe Shane, um, Bobby Babich, Bobby Babbage. And so they, you know, these guys become hot commodities it's going to be really interesting to see because as much as we talk about the you know the twenty three free agents the Bills have coming up in this this regular season this off season, you know, they're going to have to put together keep their staff intact as well or or you know upgrade. Hopefully, I don't know what all this means, and certainly the Bills could nip it in the bud by making it lucrative and and professionally attractive to a guy like Bobby Babbage to to stay in Buffalo, make him the defensive coordinator here, uh, whatever, what have you. But this is, I think, as important a development in this offseason, particularly here in the early going, it's as important a development as we've had, as we've we've got. The players are going to take care of themselves in free agency and the draft and all of that. But the coaching staffs are the one thing you don't pay a salary cap on, and it's always been free agent city up there.
1: Right. Uh, Uh, The other news that has come down the pike here around the NFL, which incidentally is presented by Kaleida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills, it looks like Jim Harbaugh could be one step closer to landing back in the NFL as a head coach. We know he interviewed with the Atlanta Falcons. We know he also interviewed with the Los Angeles Chargers. He is reportedly out in L.A. as we speak, and there is thought that a deal could be finalized between Harbaugh and and the chargers to become the next head coach of the los angeles franchise so we'll see if that comes to pass here before the day is out Uh, you would think if it's going in that direction it'll certainly get hashed out before the week is out and uh jim harbaugh would arguably have the best quarterback he's ever had as a head coach in the national football league he had colin kaepernick in san francisco as we know um Justin Herbert be a pretty good guy to work with, being a former quarterback himself. Maybe you said maybe. Maybe I, I'm not. He's got convinced. like two five thousand yard passing seasons. Yeah, okay, Kid yeah, can play. No, no, Justin Herbert can play. Yeah,
0: something's missing though. Maybe Jim Harbaugh can bring it to to that franchise. Um, yeah, Harbaugh's a really good coach. He seems to. Have a personality that wears on an organization. I mean, I can't believe that he left San Francisco so soon after getting to the to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick. Uh, but there you have it, and, and it looked like they were happy to be rid of him. Unbelievably, now he's at Michigan and wins a title. Wins a title. I mean, the guy can coach, right? Yep. So uh, he's a great leader. He's just—I think his brother John. I, I mean, I like his brother John better than I do Jim. And I know him better. That's because I know him better. Um, so they—they're two guys that know how to get it done. They're great leaders. And uh, unless, I don't know though. I always think these guys. And maybe I'm a little too much of this brownie. I always think these coaches. You—you you, you think this—the big picture. There's only one. There's only 32 of these jobs. So when you, you think a lot of it is when you get your chance, you would grab it. Harbaugh's had these chances before. Went to the college route, and he more so than anybody else knows that the NFL head coach is a completely different job than the college NFL coach. And I'm just—you're walking into a maybe, maybe it's fresh wound. He's walking into a division where Pat Mahomes is going to be there twice a year, dude. They've—they've they've been to six conference championships in a row. Yeah. That and he's gonna take over that franchise. I said it yesterday,
1: he's the Michael Jordan of the AFC. Yeah, and that's also and is. I'll
0: say this too. He's also got Sean Payton in that division, too. Sean Payton is he's he's not cutting bait, he's fishing. I mean, that guy's getting after it.
1: Yeah, but there's thoughts that they may
0: not stick with Russell Wilson. We'll have to see what happens. Well, that's there. just it. Yeah. He's not waiting around. That guy, I mean, Sean Payton is a we're gonna win and we're gonna win today. You know, that kind of guy. So that's a tough. That's going to be a tough division shortly. Now the Raiders. On you know we'll see, but
1: they're keeping Antonio yeah. Pierce.
0: Uh, you know I, I would think that Jim Harbaugh is probably one of the guys who is high on everybody's list. Right, Seattle, Carolina,
1: Atlanta, even uh, he's only interviewed with Atlanta and. L.A. He can probably pick the places where he wants to interview. I'm sure he's been called by everybody. He's probably like, right? yeah, no thanks. Right? I'm good. I don't. I just think uh, you know. Carolina seems ripe. Uh, I'm. I don't think anybody wants to go to Carolina.
0: Well, because of the owner, I guess. He's he, yeah,
1: canned he's, people left, right, and center. Right. No patience. You want that? Well, it's not I all realize of it's either. one of 32 jobs, but if there are, there's still five others open. Let me try my hand at those. Because you got an owner with no patience there. I think that's been proven time over, time and time again, already. And he's only been an owner for, what, three, four years? Yeah. It's tough. Um, Knee-jerk decisions like that have repercussions, and I think the Panthers are experiencing that. Looks like the uh, Titans have a new head coach. Cincinnati quarterbacks coach Brian Callahan. Overnight, the news broke that he is going to be uh, the next head coach for the Titans. Um, So, looks like that job will be filled here in short order, which doesn't bother me in the least. Uh, Any chance you got to weaken another AFC competitor by weakening their staff? Presumably, he'll bring a few of those assistants with him from the Bengals staff. So, let's see how these other two... Let's see how these other top-flight teams do when they lose a coordinator on the offensive or defensive side of the ball. I mean, that's what the Bills had to do, you know, over the last two off-seasons. They lost their OC, who became a head coach with the Giants, and then they made a mutual decision to part ways with Leslie Frazier. Um, Eagles didn't do such a great job when they lost both their coordinators this off-season. They they crawled into the playoffs and got bounced quickly, so – Be interesting to see how some of these other top-flight teams that are now losing coordinators handle that transition in this upcoming season next year. Yeah, yes,
0: it will be. But I'll say this too: when you got Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Mahomes, those guys make a difference. Oh yeah, it's going to be. It'll be interesting to see what Justin Herbert does uh, with a new head coach. It'll be interesting and a a new system and a new system. But you know, you look at a guy like Baker Mayfield down in uh tampa now he 's in Tampa fourth team, eight head coaches in six years of his career I mean you know, he actually had a decent season this he week. actually did because he got a little it's got a little stable and he's played from he played from week one and got through and he got through healthy <clears throat> and had some guys around him and they're in the they, you know they got it to the playoffs um, and he played had his best year ever, but you know it's the change is hard. It's my point about Baker Mayfield. I mean, the guy's gone through eight head coaches. It's, it's difficult. Um, and it's going to be difficult for these teams who lose coordinators, which is why here in Buffalo, you know, with Babbage, I and what are you going to do? I mean, you got to figure out a way. Now, the longer you stay, now look at guys around the league who still continue to win. Uh, Mike Tomlin has gone through – multiple multiple coordinators on both sides of the bowl because he's been there for 16 years i mean it's going to happen yeah but for the first time in a long time did it mid-season this year yes first time since like like world war ii generation yeah um so it it, you just got to do it uh the bills here now are going into what would be their third coordinator change you know um from Dayball. Yeah, whether it's
1: Brady or somebody fourth, else.
0: i I'm sorry. Their fourth coordinator change. Yeah. Uh, if if they do give the coordinatorship to somebody, whether it be it Bobby or bring somebody in. Yeah. Yeah, I, so it's it's a big deal. I, I take it from a guy who's been in rooms with great offensive coordinators. I was one of the one of the all-time great coaches ever. I had a bunch of them. But was was Teddy Marchabrota, the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills back in the late 80s, early 90s, before he became... Head Ed coach, Ed again, Colts. of the Colts yeah. with Jim Harbaugh as his quarterback, by the way. And so those guys make all the difference, all the difference. Their personality, their schemes, their ability to collaborate with the other guys on the staff, think through problems, solve them, and sell them to, the, to a quarterback and the rest of the team. It's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's not just some guy up in the booth who doesn't talk to the – I mean, these guys are hands-on. They are the ones who install everything with everybody in the room. Um, I, I And you start with a head. all these head coaching changes. It's going to be fun to see, really fun. Because once they get the job, Jim Harbaugh is going to have to be in front of the media like twice a week, and we're all going to see it. I don't I don't know. I don't see him in front of the media very often in Michigan. <laughs> I don't want to say anything. I'm just, particularly when he's suspended for you know, multiple games right. during the Raiders. So I think that's another reason why he's leaving. He's, yeah. I, yeah, and I he want to
1: be there for the fallout and the punishment. Well, and he's asked
0: for special languages in his contract about not being immune to being fired for cause if he's fired because he got suspended or because of cheating. So he wanted to be immune from that for the, for the fired for cause. Yeah, he's going to go to the NFL. Yeah. Uh,
1: other Bills news: It happened late yesterday. More of a housekeeping transaction for the Bills. When your season ends, your practice squad players need to be brought under contract within a week, or they're available for any team to sign. So the Bills signed ten of the sixteen players who were on their practice squad. Players like Andy Isabella, Jamarcus Ingram, Cameron Klein, Kyron Brown, Tyrell Shavers, players like that. And then the new name on the list there, wide receiver K.J. Hamler, which uh, drew some eyeballs yesterday. Former second-round pick of the Denver Broncos a few years ago. Had four, has 4-2-7 four speed, goes just 5'8", 178. So a tiny player with a lot of juice. Uh, The reason he's available is because he has had a long history of hamstring injuries and has just not been able to stick on a roster due to a lack of availability. So we know that they have a top-flight sports science and athletic training staff here. Maybe they can uh, get him right, so to speak. Former college teammate of Justin Shorter at Penn State. They were in the same receiver room together before Shorter transferred to Florida. Um, so, an interesting ad there. And maybe one of the reasons it's interesting is because of the speed factor that I mentioned. He ran a 427 at the combine. And Brandon Bean was asked specifically about the receiving core. And he said, when asked if you're interested in adding more receiver talent, he said, We take it you're always looking to add speed because you widen the field that way. You would love to have a track team of speed, but you have to make sure they're football players. We're always looking for speed on both sides of the field. So we've heard them say they want to get faster, and they've tried to find players to add a speed quotient to the receiving core. Deontay Hardy, the most recent example, but I don't think that panned out any way that the personnel department had envisioned. I mean, he became a bit player on offense and was their primary punt returner. So, like I said yesterday, Steve, they got to they gotta add more receiver talent in the draft this year. They're yeah. not going to be in a cap situation where they can add a receiver of any ilk in free agency because it's simply going to cost too much. It's just going to flat out cost too much. You tried to go the budgetary route in free agency this past offseason with Hardy, who's still under contract, by the way, and Sherfield, who was signed to a one-year deal. It flat out did not work. I think we can all agree on that. So... The other part of this that's interesting is Bean was asked about Stephon Diggs. Is he still a number one receiver? And Bean said, Steph is a number one receiver. I believe that. We have to put weapons out there to keep teams from bracketing him and locking him down. Steph can still play, and he'll work his tail off this offseason. I think the Bills know they need higher quality talent at the receiver position, so this offense can get back to the high-flying passing attack it used to be when they had players like Diggs in his prime, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, and Dawson Knox. So they've got to get back to that, and the only way that they can do it, as I see it, based on their cap situation, is heavy investment in the draft early in the draft.
0: They need to get better than when they were with Cole Beasley and – Emmanuel Sanders. Those guys were I don't think that was good enough either. Right, but that was um, the best iteration we've seen. We need is to, my point. You need somebody, even if it's high picked in the draft, that is so good. They need to be a number one pick. With Can't number, miss with number one, a number one talented pick, number one draft pick talent. And be able to earn it during training camp so when week one rolls around, he's on the field. Like Gabe Davis was on the field. But like Garrett Wilson. You've got to get him on the field. So these guys come in and they they struggle to acclimate and and the coaches just don't feel comfortable putting those guys on the field because they can't trust them yet. You need somebody who earns it like Christian Benford. There's been guys who have done it. It's not like this coaching staff won't do it. James Cook didn't do it. Uh, Terrell Bernard didn't do it in his first year. Kincaid did. Tredavious White did, although it was a much different world back then when yeah. they you know the, the, the roster, roster was, was barren. But you've got to get these guys that can earn their way on the field. I mean, I, it's great. I mean, Deontay Not Hardy right. is a talent. He's fast. He's quick. He, we saw it a couple of times, even in the playoffs. But you got to, you know, you got to put yourself in a spot where they can't keep you off the field by practicing, by proving that you know the playbook, by getting the adjustments, by all that the playbook is, and being willing to block when you need to block and be a willing blocker and an and an able blocker. All of that stuff's got to go into the thing. So when you do draft these guys up high, you don't have to spend a year sitting on the bench like Khalil Shakir did because they're not quite sure you can do everything they really need you to do. It's hard. It's a hard roster to get on, it's a hard roster to make and it's a hard roster to start for.
1: Ask ask James Cook and Khalil Shakir. It that might be you know, changing though. Yeah, might they, be changing yeah, based on the cap I situation. Gonna, I don't
0: know if it's going to change on the on the offensive side. Yeah. It's certainly going to change on the defensive side. Right. They're not going to have enough able bodies over there
1: to play, let alone be picky about of all who the it free is. agents. Yeah, they got 23 free agents in all. A good portion of them are on the defensive side of the ball. And Bean was asked about the salary cap today. And he said, we don't have the same money we had going into 2019 or 2020, but we'll work around it. We're not taking a year off and not being competitive. Will we be younger in some areas? Yes. We won't be as aggressive in some areas either, but I think we'll still have a shot next year. So I think the rubber has met the road It's not to say they won't kick the salary cap can down the road. They almost have to based on their situation. And the COVID year is what really screwed everything up because when you're working the cap and you're signing players to long-term contracts, you're projecting the increase in the cap and where that will be. Well, the cap went backwards to the tune of $16 million in 2020. It upset the apple cart for their whole budgeting process as it did for 31 other teams. Right. So, They may never recover from that, and so that has put them in this position where they have to kick the can down the road to keep their roster competitive, and that will have to happen again this year, but he said we cannot be as aggressive as we want to be because of the cap situation, and so out of necessity, they will need to lean on younger players more this coming season. They, They just have to. Yeah, they, and and
0: last year they were they were a little bit of, we were in this kind of the same spot, and they were able to still sign guys like like Leonard Floyd who made a difference for the club, um, guys like that. It's um, it's also being report coming out of there like he knows too. There are guys probably that this team was interested in this last offseason that they couldn't make it happen for. They'll go back and retouch but touch base with some of those guys again. Um, you know they're gonna uh, they're not gonna be. They're not going to sign a guy like Vaughn Miller, you know what I mean? A guy who's, you know, like a Hall of Fame-type caliber player. But I'm sure there's enough they can do with the flexibility of their cap to free up enough money. They can free up $23 million of their overspend just by restructuring Josh Allen um, and not changing the terms of the contract that much. So it's possible for them to get down underneath the cap pretty quickly here with a few... Just a few whiffs of the pen, you know, waves of the pen. But they still got to find talent, sign it, and get it to be interested in
1: playing here. Right. Feel free to uh, share your takeaways from the press conferences if you heard them from head coach Sean McDermott and from Brandon Bean, who just wrapped up a short time ago. 803 0550 is the number to get on board. 1 888 550 2550 as we're uh, happy to hear your takes on it. Uh, so you can let us know there. Open lines for you, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at one Bills live. Um I would say I was encouraged by the fact that Brandon Bean is looking to add receiver talent. That was encouraging to me because, again, I think it's got to be heavy investment early in the draft. Not just one, probably two. Um, I don't know that they'll do that, but I'd love to see it. Obviously defensive tackle help is needed because the only defensive tackle on this roster under contract after this year that just ended is Ed Oliver. Everyone else is a free agent. So you're gonna have you can't just retool that with free agents, knowing you're gonna be a little tight on the cap. You gotta you gotta get some cheap labor in the draft as well, and a player that can line up and play and right. be part of a rotation immediately. Right. Um, it's going to be hard to
0: do, um, really hard to do. And I, I think this team is going to have – and it, they always do, I guess, but I think it's going to have a markedly different personality this coming year. I, um, I, I was saying this to Brownie in the office, and I, I haven't heard this too much. I don't think – I think I might be the only person who feels like this. I, from watching this team as closely as you and I do, from where they've come on this odyssey, and, and plus the head coach, and Sean was under the microscope this year. Uh, not just because he was defensive coordinator, but because of what was written and said about him during the season, he's a way different coach at the end of this season we just finished than he was three years ago. Way different. I mean, they're throwing the ball deep on that on that final drive. They're going deep on first and ten from the twenty after getting the miracle fumble through the end zone. I mean, they're going. They're throwing the and deep, they had it. Yeah, they're deep. They're throwing the deep ball. All they needed was a, a field goal, and they would had you know the, all the, the stuff about the you know, the play, time of possession. I, we were touting that yesterday. I don't know that it wasn't part of the game plan, that it was more just a, a function of symptom of where the offense was. I, they really were – he really coached this team on Sunday evening in a way that he – it just screamed that, listen, I trust my players. He gave them this game to win or lose. He didn't do that three years ago. They wouldn't do it. And Sunday, he did, and his players couldn't get it done. Against a really good team and a really good defense, You know, they dropped a couple of long balls that should have been caught. Certainly, they would have been great catches, but they should have been caught. Uh, The fake punt in his own end. On fourth and five. This team never would have done that three years ago. No way. And he's calling. He said, do it. Now, it was an atrocity. And you can, you know, yeah, I'm like, come poor. on. You gotta, against 10 guys, they couldn't get it done. I mean, that's that's embarrassing. But he put it on the on in the lap of his players and his coaches and his the whole guy, everybody. Let's do it. I trust you. And they, ultimately they lost by three points in the division round of the playoffs. But I'm telling you this, they it, it was right there. And I, they got there because in the last six or eight weeks of this season, that's how he was playing it. He was, he was like, listen, I trust you guys. you got to make it happen. And certainly he's got a guy like Josh Allen. It's easy to you know, give him the car keys. But he also did it, I think, with his staff. He never did that three years ago. I think he was doing different things and making different decisions three years ago. I do not think he's the same coach he was. And I think it was evident in the way that game played out. Now you can say, well, they didn't get it. Yeah, they didn't get it done there, and it's a tough league to win in. But I still think he was doing it the right way, which three years ago, I think we all had doubts about that. And I think you know what was written and said about him during this season was a reflection of the people that were here two or three years ago. This guy is, I mean, even in the things he said today, he goes, no, he goes, what what'd you tell your team at halftime? <laughs> I told him, we got to go for it. He never said that before. He never acted like that before. He never, I mean, you, Brian Dayball bristled at the fact that he didn't like doing that. He wouldn't let him do that. Right? I mean, that's kind of what the the feel you get now, two years later, you get the feeling like he was like keeping his thumb on these guys. Not now. And certainly didn't, it wasn't the result they wanted, but man, oh man, he, that's how you got it this is how you got to do it you got to go for it on fourth down take your swings you got to take your swing and run the fake punt throw it deep on first and 20 when you got to have it you know uh I just I just really think that when I when I stepped back and yesterday we didn't really talk like this because I was you know we were all in a kind of a a bad headspace yesterday but man oh man I I gotta I gotta say man I I'm optimistic now about w- the odyssey that we've been on with this head coach. It didn't work out this year, but man, oh man, they did it in a way that I think as a former player, man, that's how I. That's a thing I want to be a part of. That's what I want it to be like. Give me the chance. Yeah.
1: And uh, I don't think he always did that. I don't think he did that in the past. Let's go to the phones and get some of your reactions. We're going to lead off today with Kyle in Toronto. What do you got for us, Kyle?
2: Uh, yeah, I was just, um, first of all, I love the show. Thanks. Uh, I was just wondering what the future holds for, uh, for Hyde and Foyer. Like they, they're getting up there. So I'm wondering if they're going to be back next year, like what's going on with them?
1: Yeah. Micah Hyde said he's going to need some time to decide on his future. He would be entering his age 33 season. And quite frankly, I think this team has to get younger in the secondary, um, Look, I love Micah Hyde. I love Jordan Poirier. What they've done for this organization will be remembered for a long time. Just the foundational players they were for the McDermott era and how they were at the forefront of the culture change here after 17 years of no playoffs. Um, they They were front and center in leading that, and both have served as team captains. Hyde's contract is up. He'll be entering his age 33 season. He's had a history of neck injuries. It would not shock me if he calls it a career. I don't know anything, but it would not shock me if he calls it a career. He probably needs some time to contemplate that. I don't know if the Bills have the kind of cap space to take on what I would deem to be a luxury signing like a veteran like Micah Hyde. And if if the cap rubber meets the road and you got to make a difficult decision— Jordan Poyer saves you $5 million on the cap if you release him. He's entering the final year of a two-year, $12.5 million contract. And we saw Poyer fill a different role this year, especially after Milano went down. He was essentially you know, um, a dime linebacker, for lack of a better term, and did very well. And I thought he had his best game of the season last Sunday, and it was the best defensive player on the field for the Bills. So maybe there's a role for him, but... If they have to trim some cap money, this is an example of where Brandon Bean said, "We have to. are we going to count on some younger people in some important roles next year? Yes. Why? Because of the cap situation. They can't have as many veteran, experienced players on this roster anymore. Josh's salary goes up exorbitantly on his contract, and that can be massaged, but it's still going to be a task, and it's going to have to be pulled from other areas. And unfortunately, I think the aging secondary is one of those areas. So this this could very well be the last time we see Hyde in a Bills uniform, maybe even Poyer, depending on how things shake out going into this offseason. That's why I think re-signing right. Taylor Rapp is important because he's a free agent that was here on a one-year deal. And you'll yeah. probably have to find the – if both of those guys are gone, you'll have to find the other safety somewhere else, whether it's free agency or the draft. Yeah, I wouldn't be I- – Times are changing here.
0: We were a little bit surprised last year they got Poirier back because it, when it went in – Oh, yeah, we, know, thought, he we thought he was gone. We thought he was gone. Some of that may happen with some of the other free agents, you know, that the Bills have here, the 23 guys we're talking about. But Poirier and Hyde, I, I think at this point it is up to them um, whether they come back or not, how badly they want to play again together. Um, but certainly, you know, their age – and the miles on their chassis. I mean, it's uh, take it from a guy who played through a, a moment like that in his career, a time or two, you really got to gather yourself and ask yourself how bad you want to play again, uh, at a time, like a couple of days after the season. Uh, cause a lot of guys are like, man, I need some time to yeah. heal up and to get my mind right, particularly in a, in a disappointing end to a season. So, uh, we'll, we'll find out more about that, uh, as it comes. But if they, I would say this, if the, Both of those or either of those guys come back. It will be a team-friendly deal.
1: We have to take a break here. Uh, When we come back, more of your phone calls. Also, in hour number two, we'll have ESPN NFL analyst Dan Orlovsky one last time this season to kind of put an epitaph on the Bills season and their performance in the AFC Divisional Playoff game, the loss to Kansas City. When we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Head Coach Sean McDermott and GM Brandon Bean addressing the media earlier today. And we're kind of navigating our way through a lot of those comments. Also want to get some of your feedback as well as we head into the 2024 offseason. And uh, let's get back to the phones at 803-0550. Got an open line or two for you there. If you wish to chime in as well, let's go to Reese in North Tonawanda what's up Reese
2: yeah what's up Chris I just got a question since apparently only one member of the Bills media only wants to ask uh, Brandon about uh, Sean McDermott's future I just want to know what year do you guys think that we need to learn to execute narrative at the most calm postgame press conference after a four-year divisional exit
0: what year is it too many years I don't think you take them in as a group. I think you take them individually, Reese. And I'll say this: I just said it a minute ago. I think Sean McDermott's a much different coach now than he was three years ago. And the the play calling, defensively and offensively, at the end of this last game that they lost, is proof of it. They're throwing deep multiple times on a drive. They gotta have it. They ran a fake punt in their own end. There, there was a. You can point to. More than a handful just in the fourth quarter of coaching decisions that Sean McDermott never would have made three years ago. So the the point that I've made time and time again is that you this guy has learned all these lessons that we've all lived through with him. Don't throw them away and start from scratch with another guy and prove and know that every time you get a swing at it, you got a chance to do it. This is a team that hasn't been beat. By more than six points all season, regular season or playoffs.
1: That was the uh, so, and that was with an offense stuck in neutral for six weeks that had to change your coordinator. And then when you did change your coordinator, Brandon Bean said it today. You, when you take over in the middle of a season, you can't put tweaks on an offense and put your stamp on it as a brand new coordinator. You have to use what's already there and make the best of it. This offense was a triage situation the rest of the season after Joe Brady took over and they won six of their last seven and a playoff game. There's and, not a lot I'll of teams that too. have done that.
0: And I'll say this too. I'm, uh, he, he It took them a minute to get their mind around what they're going to have to work with on defense after three, two all pros and, and, a, and a keep cog in the middle and Daquan Jones went down. Um, you know, you got Milano, you got Tredavious White, you got Daquan Jones, all gone. Uh, Von Miller, who can't play. And, you know, and their defense still was top two or three in sacks all year and got a ton of turnovers, which is what we thought we needed last year as this season was about to take off. So... Yeah, I get it. People are impatient. They're sick of sick to death of thinking this team will never go past the the, the divisional round of playoffs. They're always going to be, you know, they're always going to be behind Pat Mahomes. well, you know, if it's about Pat Mahomes, it's not about Sean McDermott. I mean, you're not going to find anybody who's going to beat Pat Mahomes every single time. Yeah, Joe Burrow's doing it, but they got their own problems in Cincinnati. They're not even in the playoffs, so. I mean, they didn't get a swing at the can. So I, I get it. Everybody's sick to death of going to Kansas city and getting beat. And then we finally get them in our building and you think, wow, this is going to be it. Well, I, I told you we're going in. That ain't it. That ain't that easy. It's not going to be that easy and it's not going to be. Wow. So yeah. I'm yeah, I get it. Everybody's sick today. Well, everybody convinced themselves because it's easy to say, we'll never beat Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid. Never. Well, you know, I think we can, I think, and I think in the
1: future we will. Coach McDermott put his faith in his players in this playoff game. As Steve pointed out earlier, they called three shot plays in this game. The receivers were open. The pass was on the money, and they dropped all three of them. The defense started its fifth and sixth linebackers thus far this season on the depth chart and started their fourth and fifth outside corners. So you're deficient on – on defense, and they didn't play great defensively. We okay. know that. So, look, we're not making excuses. Those are facts. You had your third-string linebackers and your second- and third-string corners out on the field against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and one of the best play callers of his era in Andy Reid. That's a that's a tough road to home, man. Yeah. And they're with two minutes left, they got a chance to win the game. They have the ball, and they're on the Chiefs' half of the field. But execution failed them again. And I know people are tired of hearing the same answer, but it's a fact. It's the way football the is. The plays were there to be made, and, and this, they
0: did not make them. And I, I'll say this, too. It, it's not about <laughs> being conservative, or because they were not. They weren't. Micah
1: um, like High said in his locker cleanout interview yesterday, Somebody said, "What's got to change?" He goes, "We just got to play better. We just got to play not, better." It's not the sexy answer. It's not a hot
0: take. And you got to play better on that day. I, um, I'm. We got I, T-shirts. We I know. got T-shirts that say, "You got to play well on that day." And the Bills played well, just not well enough. You know, they. You got to make a play when it comes down to it. Uh, when it comes to crunch time, you gotta. You gotta be the person that wants the ball and gets it and knows what to do with it when
1: you do get it. Yeah. Let's go to Tom and Webster next. What's up, Tom?
3: I got a couple, three uh, questions. Uh, I don't recall on Sunday hearing uh, Oliver or Jones's, uh name mentioned at all. Uh, I mean, they were in the game, I'm pretty sure, but uh, not to be sarcastic, but they did seem to have disappeared yeah. as a factor. So I wondered if the, if in your assessment, the chiefs, offensive line was that good that they could neutralize them. Uh, they pretty well neutralized Rousseau and Epinesa. uh, Douglas showed up from the booth for a, a penalty, on a, a holding, uh, second question. And where do you see the future for Von Miller? And the third, given all the injuries that they've suffered, uh, what's the conditioning program like in Buffalo?
1: Yeah, it seems um, to
3: me that would mitigate it a little bit if they were really in top condition. I'm assuming they're in condition, but maybe not strengthening their the right parts of their body, I guess.
1: Right. Um, I would say, to answer your first question, Tom, and thanks for the call, um, the defensive line did not play well. They got outclassed in that game, and that was a key component of how things turned out in my estimation. Steve and I said going into the game, the defensive front had to dominate. They had to dominate this game. They had home field advantage. Their pass rush could get off because of the noise that would be in the stadium. The Chiefs' offense would have to go on silent count. Their tackles are the weakness of the offensive front. But guard to guard, it's the best it's the best trio in the league, arguably and they completely neutralized Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver and whoever else rotated in there. Yeah, the defensive front, they, they underachieved grossly in this game after a very good regular season. Uh, they needed to step up to help cover the deficiencies behind them in the back seven, and they failed to do that in a big way. They were they were non-factors to your point, you're hundred percent right. Um, it might've been the biggest shortcoming outside of the missed big plays on offense in the entire game. They were nowhere to be found in a year where they consistently delivered and closed out games. They were nowhere near Patrick Mahomes. They could do nothing to stop the run. It was a bad game to have a bad day. They were needed more than any other component of the defense. And they came up woefully short. There is no debating that. Um, what about the other things he's talking about? Conditioning uh, he's and talking about the uh,
0: the uh, about Von Miller. Want yep. to know about Vaughn. I think I, I said it last time. Von made a couple of tackles and for loss uh, in this game. I, I do think he was trending upward at a and a player of his age. It's going to take time to get back. I think he does have gas in the tank. He's going to be back here next year. He's going to play, and I think he's going to have a way better. And I know it's not saying much because the bar is low after the year he put together for the Bills here. But I think he's got he's going to have a much better year and be much more. Uh, a much bigger contributor next year than he was able to be this year. And about the injuries and the system, it may be something systemic. I doubt it. Uh, This is the same protocols and stuff they used for two years in 2021 when they were the healthiest team in the league in consecutive years. They come back. Last two years. Last two years. And some of it is, and I hate to say it, because I think some of it was just bad luck by the surfaces they played on. They go to Detroit and have struggle. They went to London, had a couple of guys go down in London, and other teams who played on that surface also suffered some injuries as well. Jets turf is a problem also. And, yes, right, MetLife is also a problem. Ask Aaron Rodgers. So, it's – yes, there might be something in it, systemic, about the injuries and all that stuff, but I think it had more to do with where the team played, the surfaces they played on, rather than what they're doing inside the building.
1: In short, this is what Bean said on Von Miller today when asked about him. He said, Von wasn't the Von Miller he wanted to be when he came back, but you saw that explosiveness coming back at the end of the season. It didn't fire on all cylinders all the time, but in his estimation, it was trending up. Again, it's a contract that they really can't get out from under until next offseason. They, they could always come back to the bargaining table and renegotiate it, but we'll have to see what comes of that. And then Sean McDermott did say with the last two seasons – Being beat up, banged up, and injured going into the playoffs, they will take a deep dive into why that occurred after the two seasons prior to that. To Steve's point, they were the healthiest team in football. So what has changed there? may just be a byproduct of having an older roster, but that's what they will examine this offseason. Got to take a break here, but more of your phone calls when we return here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, with you. Back to the phones we go, and to Tom in Lackawanna. What do you got for us, Tom?
4: Hey, I've got about uh, three questions and a quick comment. Um, I just wondered, what is Trey White's uh, salary cap hit for next year, and if he is is showing progress before the draft, or in even after the draft, which would then lead to next year's draft pick, or do you think? Benford could move to safety. And do you think they could get a second or a third-round pick if they tried to trade Elam? And what do you guys think of Callahan as a coach for Tennessee?
1: Okay. Um, First, yes, Benford could move to safety. It's something that's been discussed before. Um, However, I think if Trey White's recovery doesn't go as expected, that move could be preempted. I think it's important that they re-sign Taylor rap because you don't know what the future of Micah Hyde is. And based on cap constraints, you may not be able to keep Jordan Poyer, who would save you $5 million if you moved him off the roster yeah. as he enters his age 32 season. And I would also say that concerning um, Callahan, it's a young coach who's worked with a lot of good quarterbacks over the years in his coaching career in the NFL. And that was clearly what was attractive to the Titans, who believe they have their franchise quarterback in Will Levis, um, and also Tre'Davious
0: White's cap hit this year is sixteen point four million. Yeah, that's uh, not sustainable, and it's dead cap. If you cut him or released him, it's ten million against the cap anyway. Yeah. Um, but you could restructure that any way you wanted to. If you wanted to say, instead of moving Benford to corner, you want to or to safety, you want to move Trey White to safety. Uh, you could restructure all of his money and get and save millions on the cap.
1: So it's all um, up in the air, though, and, and they said this today. We really won't know until Trey's back on the field. Right. You have to see what you have in him as a player. Like, can he still play corner? I mean, those are two really major injuries. I mean, right. look, I'm the last person that's going to doubt Tredavious White and a comeback, but – they have to see. they know what it needs to look like on the field to determine whether he can be a successful NFL cornerback or a successful NFL safety. Um, and Trey is kind of a wiry player. You know he's there's not a lot of thickness to his frame. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. I think he could probably play safety if necessary, but they're yeah. not going to know until he is back on the field what he is and is not capable of, and only then will they be able to make an educated decision on him?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and Benford, they're a little bit more probably aware of what he is and what he can be uh, because he's still mostly healthy.
1: Um, yeah. And then as for Elam, um, there were some interesting comments on him today. Uh, Coach McDermott, again, cited down-to-down consistency. He didn't deny that the, that he flashed when he got opportunities. As we know, those opportunities were few and far between. And he said that they're looking, what they need from him now is series to series consistency of play. I kind of don't know if that's completely fair. How are you supposed to develop consistency in your game when you're playing once every 10 weeks? But that's another story. Right. And then Brandon Bean concerning Elam, I want to get this exact comment because I thought it, it differed in some way from uh, what Coach McDermott said about him. So let me see if I can find it real quick here. Uh, he said, guys develop at different rates. This is Brandon Bean on Eli. The foot injury bothered Kair coming out of camp more than most knew, and he wanted to win the starting corner job, so he kept pressing forward. He said, the best thing we did was put him on IR and let our medical team get him healthy. We saw flashes of what he can do. He was rusty when he came back, but he's a pro and he works hard. He'll come back, compete. He has a good skill set. Anything can be earned, and I know he'll put the work in this offseason. So it certainly sounds like the door is far more open for him to challenge for a starting role in the secondary with Brandon Bean than it does with Sean McDermott. So I would prefer they keep him on the roster for two reasons. One, if you want the flexibility to move Christian Benford to safety, you need depth at corner. And at the very least, Elam is depth. Number two, you don't know what Tredavious White's going to look like when he comes back from the Achilles injury. Can he still play corner? Can he even play safety? If not, you're going to be looking to have somebody to fill the role. And if Benford's going to safety, you're going to need Elam because Douglas is the only other guy under contract. Dane Jackson's a free agent.
0: The only way I think about trading Elam is if you get a two-
1: I don't know if him. you're going to get that. I
0: don't know if you're going to get that. If you get a two, then you could replace him with a with a kid that's even younger uh, and fits your style more, maybe whatever whatever characteristics you're looking for. You, you just get a pick for him that you could replace him right away with cheap labor. Um, but that, other than that, I don't. Yeah, you corn There's we've talked about money positions all the time. It's quarterback, it's pass rusher, and it's cornerback uh, and a left tackle maybe. So everything other than that those are money spots you got to have as many of those as you can get particularly some that are gifted athletically so yeah i'm very hesitant to let elam go a trade if you trade him for a good enough draft pick okay i'll listen but yeah i don't know if that you still get that.
1: think he can be a good player for you in this league so hopefully he gets that opportunity break time for us yeah. we got dan orlovsky coming up here in our number 2 ESPN NFL analyst with his final appearance of the season here on One Bills Live stay tuned
0: Presented by Kaleida Health.
1: All right, welcome to hour number two on a Tuesday, which all season long has meant one thing. ESPN NFL analyst and former NFL QB Dan Orlovsky joining us. His segment brought to you by Ellicott Hotels. Fans, round up your family, friends, and co-workers for a fantastic game day experience at 500 Pearl. Reserve your pack, book your group event today at 500PearlBuffalo.com. All right, Dan. Well, uh, for Bills fans, it's uh, an end of the road again in the divisional round, and you know, Steve and I have been acting as therapists for the better part of the last couple of days, and it's it's very hard for fans to come around to. There were execution issues that compromised the Bills' chances of winning this football game. There was also some personnel availability issues that didn't help either on the defensive side of the ball, but. they're like, they got no explosive plays. I mean, how can you play this kind of football and expect to beat the Chiefs? And I'm saying to them, there were three explosive plays to be made, and the receiver dropped the ball all three times. It's a different game if one or two of those are caught.
5: Yeah, it's, I feel for Bill's fans, I've, I've become a huge fan of obviously the organization, Bill's Mafia, Josh um, and so you, you watch that game and how it ends you you prefer to lose 35 to 10 and just get whooped and get beat and say hey we weren't good enough but to for it to end that way'm I'm, I'm sure is, is brutal and bitter um you know when when you sit there and you watch the explosion, I've had I had a lot of people yesterday obviously I was on TV all day yesterday trying to fight the good fight when it came to some certain stuff and I had multiple people say well you know Josh completed 16. 16- for sixteen passes at or behind the line of scrimmage and only 10 or 20 10 for 20 down downfield that's not good and it's a learning moment for like that my job is to educate one three drops you know one of those three drops swings the game two of them specifically the the one to shirtfield on um third down swings it a lot because it's points and then obviously steps is massive so there's points there attached to it. Two, the reason why those stats are the way they are is Kansas City came into this game. They played a ton of man coverage and they wanted to get in your face and come after you. They didn't do that against Buffalo. They played a ton of zone. They played a ton of two high shell. That's not surprising to anybody. And so to sit there and like be frustrated with the lack of explosive plays when a defense plays a certain way to you and you've begged the quarterback to play a certain way against that defense, he then does, both he and the play caller, and we try to hold that against them. That's just not how real life works. So, you know, part of the lack of explosive plays was Kansas City was just adamant and hell-bent on not allowing them, and then obviously those drops. So, you know, in the context of, like, how did you have to play that game both as a play caller and a quarterback – it was pretty stinking good and darn near flawless. And so, yeah, I mean, it's the 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 drops were huge. I, I you know I said this yesterday, Chris. The difference of the game: one team's guys made plays down the field, one team's guys didn't. Yep. That, that right. it, like, that's just the truth. What do
0: you uh, say then? Also, there's always the the particularly in a in a situation where the Bills find themselves, where they've gotten to the same level of the – well, the same level of the playoffs for three years after going to the AFC Championship game four years ago. Now they're kind of stuck at the divisional round, and and they've lost twice to Kansas City, lost once to Cincinnati. And now it's starting to look like this is a coach that can't get us over the hump. This is a coach and this is a staff that just doesn't know how to win that big one. I'm – at the end of that game, I saw very different Sean McDermott making coaching decisions than we did three years ago uh, in the 13-second game where they played so their players wouldn't make a mistake. And yeah. yesterday, I thought they played ag- aggressive in those situations by going down the field they did, trying the fake pump when they did, going forward on fourth down in their own end. Um, I thought they did everything to get put the play- put the game in the hands of their players and say, listen, you guys can win this, let's go.
5: Yeah, I completely agree. A lot of people have made a big deal about the fake punt that that is the age old sports thing. If it works, you're the smartest person in the world. And if it, we praise Dan Campbell for it, Dan Campbell does it a ton. We praise him. But now whether the design of the play is I'm not a special teams you know, ace, so I, don't, I have no idea to comment on that. But I, I, had, I had no issue with it. If it works, you're the smartest coach in the world, and you got the biggest guts in the world. And if it doesn't, hey, defense, bail me out. Jordan Poyer obviously does. So, um, you know, again, yesterday, you know, there was the idea of, you know, Bill Belichick there, and I was just like, dude, Sean McDermott coached his rear end off this year. It, 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 everybody knows what the, the injury issues that that were a part of this season, and the decision to move on from Ken Dorsey to Joe and you know that's a roll the dice and get this team to where they are i just don't view it the same way as the people saying well he's gotten us to a point i understand the context of it and some of the the comparisons that people made that people have made i just i can only go off what i watched this year and and i i think he coached his rear end off now do i think he's immune to like, I, I talked about it a lot this season. It obviously was a huge part of this game with Taryn. I want to be very clear, Taryn Johnson's outstanding. He's a tremendous nickelback. But their commitment to playing nickel all the time, it hurt them again. And and I think that is something, if you want me to be honest about, like, hey, what can they do differently, I do think that has to be a part of their offseason conversation of, like, hey, you know, like, at some point we got to be willing to match personnels on defense. And maybe that means – taking this player off the field for a certain time. So I, I do think that's a place where we could be critical of McDermott, but I, I I thought, I thought they went to go win the game. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, a player here or there, a kick here or there doesn't allow that to happen.
1: Yeah. Right. And I, yeah, you're referencing how chiefs went into 13 personnel there. And sometimes the bills didn't put the third linebacker on the field and kept Taron out there. And it was, a problem at times in the game. Uh, I want to get your thoughts, Dan, on the job turned in by Joe Brady. Uh, It's never easy when you have to take over as a coordinator mid season. And Brandon Bean, who addressed the media today mentioned this as well, because you can't really tweak it and put your own stamp on it midway through the season. It's more of a triage situation on offense. And I kind of felt like that's what it looked like the rest of the way. So the fact that they won six out of their last seven after Brady took over and then won a playoff game on top of that. Uh, just your thoughts about the functionality of the offense, knowing the situation under which Joe Brady found
5: himself. Spectacular. You know, I, I remember, you know, being on with you guys and maybe there were five and six and six and six. And you asked me like, hey, can they, can they get to the playoffs? And I don't know what I said. I, I don't know if I said yes or no. I said, I know this, if they do, it'll have to be the best stretch of quarterback play of Josh's life. And I think you can make the case that, you know, performance wise, it got up there. I don't know if he was as hot as some of his runs he's had, but then you saw the growth of the offense. You saw this offensive line become a strength. You saw James Cook kind of become a focal point. You saw uh, Shakir become a massive piece. Obviously the development of the two tight ends um, are big parts of that as well. And so, I think if you, if you I'm sitting here four days removed or three days removed, two days removed whatever it is um and what's the focal point for the bills this off season and which is outrageous question I guess in and of itself, but I think you start with can you keep Joe Brady like can you can you keep Joe Brady because there's no way that you watch that last six or seven games and you say, hey, our offense didn't perform better and more efficient in the midst of chaos and then i think number 2 question becomes and i know it's sensitive what's going on in the wide receiver room um you know what do they view stephon diggs as and in both in production and pay and then what is their view or plan with gabe davis i think those that's the number one thing they have to move forward to because gabe not being there was a big deal um I'm not. I don't know exactly what has transpired with Steph when it comes to his ability to go be that guy. With the the attempts were there, I don't know if the production was as dominant as it has been in the past. Um, and I think that's kind of where they have to start. Right, and I I would agree with you. And we've been talking about what's
0: going to happen. Certainly, uh, you've got to have somebody line up in Gabe Davis's spot. I don't think that person's probably on the roster. Uh, At this point, uh, if if you if you count Gabe as not being on the roster as well. I mean, there's always a chance that he comes back like like Jordan Poyer did at a team friendly deal, where the free agent market isn't what we thought it was going to be, and he ends up coming back. Who knows? But uh, there's no question they need to be more productive on a consistent basis at the number two wide receiver. If Steph's number one, the number two guy, because there were too many games where Gabe Davis had zero targets and zero catches, and and there was multiple, there was a
5: handful of games. games. You can't, you can't yeah. live like that. No, not you. Just not in that conference. I know that. You know, not right. not in that conference when you got you know freakazoids at quarterback on a on a weekly week week to week basis, and you know you're going to see them come playoff football time. And so, yeah, I, I think that's just that their biggest like focal point plan specifically in offenses, you know, how are they going to treat it? And how are they going to attack it? And you, you gotta, there's also positives though, you know, like, I I don't want to turn this into a bash the wide receiver or, you know, doom and gloom wide receiver group, but Shakir's development, you got to sit there and go, man, we got a really good slot player. And then obviously Dalton was great and not Dawson is as reliable as, as you can get at that tight end spot. So there's a lot of really good at the pass catching group, but I do think, you know, you, you have to be candid and, reassess where it is and where it has to get to.
1: Yeah, because you know, Brandon Bean who spoke spoke to the media today was asked about Steph specifically. Now, what can he say publicly? He he sure. said Steph is still a number 1 receiver in their eyes and he also added that they have to put weapons out there to keep teams from bracketing him and locking him down, but he believes that Steph can still play. I'm of the belief Dan, that with Gabe Davis being a free agent, them in a cap situation that doesn't lend the ability to go out and get a free agent receiver who's proven, you gotta get two receivers on the first two days of the draft. One who's yeah. an one who is elite physical traits and an alpha dog who can assume the number one role by the time the leaves are off the trees next fall, because that is when Steph Diggs' production drops off precipitously. It's happened each of the last two years. So let Steph be your number one the first half of the year next season, and then when he tails off, this new alpha dog's ready to go, and then get me another burner who can stretch the field. you got to get two on the first two days of the draft, as I see it, to retool this offense and give Josh enough weapons where you do have the execution you need this time of year.
5: Yeah, I completely agree. We're actually talking about that specifically with Mel Kuiper on NFL Live today because, you know, this this draft class at that spot is really good. And I know the high end guys, the Rome Odunzes of the world, the Marvin Harrisons junior, those aren't going to be in the conversation. So actually, my specific question to Mel today is hey, there's that group of wide group of teams that are going to be drafting like late teens and early to mid twenties. Give me the wide receiver in that group that is going to be in the conversation for like the Arizona, Buffalo, Kansas City. That you know you think is going to be drafted there. That is actually be a better player than where he's going to be drafted, just because of the way the draft falls or whatnot. So I'll be fascinated to see and hear who his answer is, because I agree. Like I, I think you know if, if we if if we take the the viewpoint of the the conference and we look at the quarterbacks and the people that they have, everyone's got their guys, plural, you know and 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 I, I don't know, you know especially when Gabe went out if that was the case and so I agree Chris like, you know if they're going to still view Steph as that one treat him as is but you better get somebody that's ready to step in
1: yeah I mean I realize this is only one stat and you can't treat him in the vacuum but in terms of catch rate. Here's the breakdown of the receiving core player by player. Your top three catch rate players on the bills this year, Shakir, 86.7. He was sixth in the entire league. Cook, yeah. cook, 81.5. We realize a lot of higher percentage throws for backs. Okay. Take it with a grain Indeed. of salt. Kincaid, 80.2. Those guys are all yeah. in the top 25 of the entire NFL digs. Yeah, I know higher volume. You're going to have more drops but 66.9 for your number 1 receiver that's his catch rate and then Gabe Davis 55.6 177th in the league that can't be your number 2 receiver.
5: Yeah, I and I totally agree we're actually doing something again on NFL Live today and you know again our job is to be really critical. I I, I still Steph is awesome. You know, he's he's awesome. But if you look at like this back stretch and just compare him And Shakir, it's like, I think they have relatively similar targets, but Shakir's got more yards. He's got more touchdowns. He's caught the ball better. He's got more bigger plays. And so like you have to watch the tape, and the tape kind of lends itself to have a thought. And then when the number matches, then you have a relatively good group of information to go, well, what do we do with this? And first of all, why is it that way? You know, why is it because the player has dropped off? Is it because the system didn't allow it? Is it, was it because our style of offense is the quarterback at fault? And then where do we go from here? I do. I I think those are really big questions for them. I do. Yeah.
0: One of the, you talk about it. I know the stat line you're talking about, um, Steph Diggs and Shakir in the last 10 games, they've got identical yardage and identical catches and Shakir has 37 targets Diggs has 80. Diggs has 80. You know, um that's, so it's or maybe has 47 targets. Shakir had 40 80. more
1: receiving yards right. than him. So
0: he so D, so Shakir, you know, just because of the the efficiency of his catch rate. I got to ask you this too one you know, on a more general note. So you're looking at a conference that's got Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow coming back. Now they've got C.J. Stroud who we kind of know something about. Uh Trevor Lawrence who's who's taken a step back this year but we'll see. Will Levis has stepped up and and Tennessee's going to roll with this guy and he's got some physical capabilities. Anthony Richardson will be coming back. Deshaun Watson and of course the last guy that I'm mentioning is Aaron Rodgers. By the way, right? So this this AFC conference, dude. I mean, murder is rough, man. yeah. Um, when but let's face it, the last guys standing, the the last four guys standing are Josh Allen, C.J. Stroud. Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. And they're all playing at a really high level. I mean, there's like yeah. there isn't a there is not a weakness in any of their games. And standing on the outside looking in is, you know, Joe Burrow. He's gonna come back and be that. I mean, there's I mean, that's a that's five of the seven possible play. You know what I mean? I mean, there, yeah. there's just there's not, no room at the top of the AFC unless you've got a guy. I mean, even these, you know, I, I a mean,
1: special guy.
0: Yeah. A special guy. They're not just guys. They're special guys. Yeah. What no, can you generalize? I, I, I what said, can you generalize about that? I mean, if anything,
5: it's, if you don't have one, you don't have a chance. Uh, that's if you don't have, you might play a bunch of games in September and October. No, you don't have a shot. And I think like, obviously I was wildly passionate yesterday. I feel like I have been for a while now. <laughs> And um, that's why I get so like frustrated with, well, this player can't get do, do this or whatnot, and I'm I'm just I under I I take a lot of pride in in trying to educate and and analyze and being honest about it, and I'm just like, you you have we we have no idea how good you have to be to even have a chance to have a shot, and. Buffalo is one of four or five. I mean, even some of the guys you name, Steve, they don't really, they, they need, they need like to catch the break. Right. You know, Buffalo has a human being who plays quarterback that only wants to, but can. And that's why sometimes some of the conversation around the dude, I listen, I've, I've met Josh once. Everyone thinks that we're like, we're best friends. I've met him once. I'm just doing my job as good as I can. Buffalo has a quarterback that can stand face to face with the best player in the league and beat him. Now he hasn't, his team hasn't done it when it's mattered the most, but it hasn't been because the guy's crapped down his leg. It's just because he didn't catch the break. That's it. And so the conference is loaded. That being said, Buffalo is going to go in at that position to the 2024 season. And if you had the biggest hater on the planet, And the guy that was most anti-Josh Allen, he would say they're the third best at that position in the conference at worst.
1: Yeah, it's something. Uh, Yeah, I know you tweeted out his 63-yard rope on a dime to Diggs. I mean, he just catches that ball. It could be a different football game. It's crazy.
5: All-time great throw, man. Unbelievable.
1: Unbelievable stuff. Dan, you've been unbelievable all season long as well. Thanks for all the insight. Uh, You've been a a fantastic addition to the show. We've gotten a lot of great feedback on our social media channels for the insight you add. So uh, thanks very much for all that you've given us on the football side of the ledger this season. We really appreciate it.
5: No, It was an honor. You guys are great, good people. You guys talk ball as good as anybody. So as much as it was... You know, enjoyable for you, equally for me. So I'm, I'm thankful. All Thanks, right, Dan. Uh, hopefully,
1: you. you get some downtime after the Super Bowl. Enjoy the offseason, man. <laughs> hey guys. All right, that's Dan Orlovsky, ESPN NFL analyst, who was kind enough to join us all season long and weigh in on stuff. And, you know, I hope for fans that just gives you a little bit of encouragement that when you hear the players on locker cleanout day say, you know, we're on the right track here. You know, we there is yeah. no hump to get over. It's just a matter of playing better in the game that counts the most. And as you just heard Dan say, it's a it's about just getting the break. Just getting a break somewhere. Uh yeah. one of those
0: three deep balls. Just yeah, and you'd, making a catch. You've got good enough players on your on your roster as well that they can make those breaks. You know, they can they can seize that moment. And it's hard to do. Uh, you need the opportunity. You need, you know, the it, right. it, It's hard to do, um, and it doesn't happen for everybody. But you know, that's the Chiefs. Um, I mean, this was, it was a dogfight. It was a it was a scrap here in Buffalo, and the Chiefs came out on top. And you know, they're going to move on the Bills. And and I get it too. It, it <clears throat> there's only so much room at the top of the heap, and if you keep staying at the same level in the playoffs year after year, you start to get this idea that something's catastrophically wrong. And it's not, it's, I just, it's not the case.
1: Yeah. It's not the case. Let's uh, jump back on the phones here real quick. Get a couple of people in. We go to Steph in Olean next. What do you got, Steph? Hey, you doing, Brownie? How you doing, Steve? Good. Good.
2: Um, Yeah, I just want to touch base with the
5: draft. I know you guys discussed it with Dio there that, uh, you know, we have to, get some wide receivers in here ASAP, but how aggressive do you think Bean will be in possibly trading some future seconds, thirds, fourths to try and move up and get the guys that are available this year in the deeper wide receiver draft that he truly wants? I I mean, we know know it's deep. There's those five guys that
2: are
1: projected
5: to be all first-rounders, but what do you guys think about that?
1: Yeah, I I think it's going to come down to this, Steph, ultimately. It's going to come down to their assessment of the receiver class as a whole. If they believe there is a tremendous drop-off from the top five or the top six or whatever that top-tier group might be, and they don't think they're in range of getting one of those players, well then, yeah, trading away future draft assets to get to a place where they can get one of those players I could see them doing that, especially knowing that drafting right behind them this year will be the Kansas City Chiefs, who you know are in the market for receiver talent with the flop that McCall Hardman's been and the disappointment that Valdez-Scantling has been. They need more than what they have, not to mention the fact that Travis Kelsey's 33 years old. So you, and look, Bean has been aggressive. I think there's only one draft where he hasn't moved up in the first round. Right. So uh, I, I could totally see that, but it's going to be predicated on what he and his personnel department deem the strength of the receiver class to be. If they think there's an alpha male that could be in the second round because the class is that deep, well, then they'll happily take them at the bottom of round one and not move. But if it is a drop-off, yeah, they could be aggressive. Yeah, I could if see it. they trade, it's probably because they – there
0: is a there is a spot where they want to they feel like they have to get to to make sure the guy they want is there, and I'll say this: if they make that trade, like in, the, let's say the draft is going to be I don't know when it is exactly, but like April 28th, late April. If they make that trade in early March, it's because they've gotten feedback or they got an idea that that guy's not going to be there. or This draft is not that deep. Yeah. If they got to get up if they do it early in this process to make sure they get one, you can bet that it's higher on their priority list. If they wait, maybe do it on draft day, it they, they might still work, but I don't think they'll feel the desperation running up to the draft. They'll feel like they'll be able to get it done. Um, if you know, And that happens when you feel like there's going to be some really good options no matter what happens that day. If they start to get an inkling that they're going to get left out in the cold, you can bet they'll make that move as soon as they feel that
1: got to take a break here but more of your phone calls when we return we'll lead off with mark in jersey city but got some open lines for you at 803-0550 so chime in if you wish as uh, we begin to take a look at the bills 2024 offseason and react to some of the comments from brandon bean and head coach sean mcdermott today here on one bills live stay tuned Alright, welcome back to one Bills Live, final half hour of the show here. Wanna get some phone calls in, so we go as promised to Mark in Jersey City. Next, what's up, Mark?
4: Uh good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you. I always I just wanted to say that you know, I appreciate you guys personally. You get me through a lot of days. I think you do for a lot of Bills fans. And I know I can be annoying. I know I know I use C B, so I you know, trust me, you can't express how much I appreciate you guys. Sure thing. And, um, yeah, the digs drop, the digs drop. Um, the, the reason that's so does he score on that? Cause the DB had fallen. I think he, if he doesn't, he, the guy following up, maybe tackles him at what at worst at inside the inside the pen.
0: Yeah. yeah I don't know.
1: Justin he, Reed laid out to make a play on the ball. He's on the he ground. I think
6: he,
0: Diggs got tripped up by Reed at the end, but you know, if you catch it, he's, he gets tripped up, he's tackled. So he went down anyway after trying to make the catch. Um, so I doubt that he would have scored. But yeah, it was a, it was an enormous play. It would have been inside if he would have kept his feet.
6: This certainly,
0: is, it's a different world. But This is a 63-yard throw through the air. Right. And the ball comes down inside the 30. So he's down inside the 25 even if he if he catches it even if he falls just like he did. Um So yeah, it's it's automatically in field goal range. But he's, you know, um uh, yeah, he's down inside the twenty-five, probably in the twenty-two. It, so, um, so yeah, that's that's big. You know, it was
4: painful because I feel like they could have. They had they, the, the reason that really hurts is because there's eight and change left. If they don't put it in the end zone, they tie, and there's another possession to be had with two timeouts, I believe, and that's why I felt like that was that's what made it so paramount. Cause I think there was another possession to be had in there. Cause you got to believe K C was going to go back and, and do something right. the way they were playing. And just, I'll just finish up with, I'm glad they're going to, even though Brady did a great job, you know, like you said, CB, you know, cobbling together what he could without his own playbook. And I don't believe that there was the horses to, to, to do the things that they wanted to do on offense. They, they haven't been able to create separation offensively wide receiver wise for almost two years now.
1: Yeah.
4: Um, and um, I, I do like they're going to get outside candidates though, I, to to look around, so they're just not handed to him and do what they did with um, with Dorsey, do their due diligence because you you see guys get schemed open all the time in this league. I mean, very very you just there's you know, the the Lions did it to to seal the game with that that tight end like their third tight end I don't I forget his name Mit Wright or something, and it just. I just wish that you know they had something a little more like a, a Bobby Slowick or somebody like that, somebody more from the Shanahan, you know, easy button throw uh, world. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Yeah,
0: you sure yeah, thing, And Mark. I'll say that too. It's interesting. What if you're going to say, for instance, you're going to open this up? and This is kind of a neat question. We can talk about this for a minute. What kind of pedigree would Bills fans demand? To hand their their this prize cow and Josh Allen, yeah. hand their prize cow well, over to this guy and make sure he's um, you know he's a a
1: farmer and not a
0: butcher. I you will, know what I mean?
1: I will say when Coach McDermott hired Rick Dennison, Dennison, it was because he wanted somebody from the Shanahan tree in terms of that offense. He always felt that that offensive scheme was the most difficult for him to defend. Um, now. By no means was Dennison his first choice, his second choice, or even his third choice. But that was that was the aim. Now he obviously went in a different direction after that, and with great success with the hiring of Brian Dable. But you wonder if he considers somebody from that Shanahan tree again as an outside candidate. So it'll it'll bear watching here and be interesting to see what comes of it going forward. Um, because again, I think to a certain extent, Brady was handcuffed with what he had to work with because it's a, it's not any kind of system he has operated prior to coming here. B as, as you just heard our last caller Mark outline, not a ton to work with in terms of players who could naturally separate. That was one of the reasons why the change happened in the first place. Uh, and then third, midseason, you can't tweak it and change it dramatically and put your own stamp on it. It's not your system. You don't want to throw too much at the players, uh, and you're just trying to win a football game. So that's why I use the word triage. That's what they were doing. They were triaging the rest of the season on offense, and they did it to the tune of six wins out of their last seven games. Six in a row. So, I mean, it was – I don't want to say it's monumental, but that is a pretty big haul to pull down the pike yeah. and win the division and go to the postseason. Win the division from being six and six. Uh, one
0: of the things too you got to remember is there's a lot of this we don't have any uh, uh, and nobody. I didn't hear anybody ask Sean this today in his presser, but you got to know that Sean McDermott and Joe Brady are having conversations like Joe. What's next with the offense? What are you thinking about what happened this year? What's what does happen- it need? What does it need? What do we need to do? What what do you want to do that we weren't able to do this year? What are, were you trying to get to that we never made a you comp- never accomplished? What's your vision, you know, basically? What do we need from Josh and what what do we need more of from Josh? What do we need less of? What kind of offense does he like? What can you give him? What what all that stuff? Ob- uh, you know, conversation after conversation about you know, the evolution that's going to happen this off season with the wide receiver room and a little bit of flux and you got an offensive line that's pretty much intact white, a, a running Start back room five, Yeah. That looks like it's got its lead dog. No problem. Um, where are we at? And those conversations, uh, will be part of, I don't know, a finger quotes or whatever, the interview process for Joe Brady being staying or going or whether they're going to put it out there to outside people or what, um, that's what Joe Brady brings to the table. He's he knows what this offense has done, where it came from, where it needs to go, what its problems were. That's huge. But when you start dangling other guys out there, and you, and they've had some, they've got a pretty good resume themselves. They've worked with some other quarterbacks. They've gotten more out of an offense. They come with a different point of view. And you know maybe it's like, well, you know maybe we do need to make the change. I don't know. But all that stuff's got to be talking about. And a lot of it has already probably happened. And we're not aware of
1: the results. Yeah. Be interesting to see where it goes this off season. Let's go to Gary in Wheatfield next. What's up, Gary? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good. Hopefully everybody's uh,
2: over the depression. Uh, I know you two guys are – you're my elixir, that's all I can say.
6: <laughs> uh,
2: Happy to help. <laughs> yeah. It's better than cocaine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will take your word for it. <laughs> All I can say is, you got to admit, I don't know how many, you know, well, we know how many Bills fans there are, but has Bean let us down yet? I'm going to say no. And I think Bean the Bean counter is going to come through again. The team's going to just level out, be the same team, hopefully better in some position. You know, who knows? We might get a gold, hit a gold nugget or a gold bar and a DT or whatever. But I uh, do have a couple rule questions, real quickly. One, the Miami game when Sherfield made that catch in the end zone off the helmet. If the ball hit the goalpost, is the play dead?
0: Yes, yes. Okay.
2: Because um, I guess the goalpost is considered out of bounds, I would assume? Yeah. That's correct, yeah. Okay. The other question is, what is the purpose of the rule in the game yesterday, or the game Sunday, where if a player is half out of bounds and the ball touches his helmet, the ball's considered out of bounds? What's the purpose of that rule? did yeah. somebody do something that back in the day that that that, that made that created this rule?
0: Well, here's the thing. Uh, uh, and um, Gary, here's the thing. When you when you don't when if the ball is in play and somebody from out of bounds touches the ball I don't,
1: I don't an extension of the
0: sideline by yeah, rule. That's yeah, that's the rule. It, it if you touch the ball and you're out of bounds, the ball is out of bounds. Now, the reason for that is 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 it, I don't know if I'm exactly right, but I'll put it in a generalized terms. It opens up an enormous amount of unintended consequences if you don't keep the ball in. Pl- if the ball is allowed to be touched by somebody out of bounds, uh, because you could have a guy stand out of bounds and tip a ball out of bounds back into the end zone. One of your guys catches it.
1: Yeah. You know. I mean, it's all of the, it has to. You know. And there are a lot of different examples of that. A lot of them take place on special teams, which is why they right. have illegal touching. That's it. It, it opens
0: up covering a kick. It opens up a multitude of unintended consequences, and it keeps it very simple and very straightforward. That if a player is out of bounds and he touches the ball that's in bounds, no matter out, the circumstances. no matter the circumstances, the ball's out of bounds. Now it's I don't just, know if it's a truth if the if there's a player out of bounds and he reaches in and touches the ball like in another player who is inbounds has the ball, that's I think that's different. Well, that's
1: because someone else has possession. That's yes, that's possession. different. So But if it's a loose yeah. ball and it touches anybody who has any kind of contact with the sideline or the end line, it is out of bounds. That player is considered an extension of the sideline for some of the reasons that Steve outlined. Let's uh, take a quick break here and try to squeeze in a phone call or two when we come back here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. Time for a couple more phone calls here real quick. We'll go to Jason on uh, Island. What's up, Jason? Jason, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Chris. Yeah, go ahead. You're on.
2: I just wanted to add my two cents to an answer you gave to the caller before about how aggressive Bean might be in the draft. Um, I, I think they just, you know, a lot's going to happen between now and the draft, but they've got a lot of positions in need. They have a need to get younger, and they have a need to get guys on cost-controlled contracts, and I, I think you do that through the draft. So yeah. I wouldn't put anything past Brandon based on his past history, but I'd be surprised if he gets too crazy and gives up too much uh, draft capital uh, this year, maybe even next. But anyways, that was just my two cents. Thanks for taking my call.
1: Yeah, no problem, Jason. You know you're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, they will have ten picks. Everybody is. I think we're all under this pretty safe assumption that they're going to get a third-round compensatory pick for the loss of Tremaine Edmonds in free agency. So that will get a third back because, as you know, they traded their third away to acquire Rasul Douglas. But they should get the third back at the end of the round as a compensatory for Edmonds. So that would give them 10 total picks. That's a lot of draft capital to work with, and they may need every single one of them. So it might have to be a future pick that they part with in 2025 to move somewhere on the board where they feel they need to get a player that they covet. So we'll have to wait and see. There, We've got a long time between now and then, plenty of time yeah. to talk about it. We're going to end up in Indianapolis before all this comes oh, down. Oh, yeah. Comes down. Let's go to Mark in West Seneca. What do you got, Mark?
6: Uh, real quick, guys. Um, I wanted to bring up the injury thing. Um, I think the NFL owners have got to really start looking at this hard. Uh, I'm, I'm getting really frustrated with the game being a war of attrition, And when we get to the end of the season, and the Bills are not the only ones, uh, that you have a shell of the team that you had that you started with at the beginning of the year because there's so many injuries. I think they need to start looking at this as, you know, they're going to 18 games. So I think they should be looking at this as a six-game segment, a bye week after week six, uh, alternate AFC, NFC, work it into the schedule, same thing after week 12 maybe go to joint practices only at the beginning of the season maybe one preseason game and that's it but because that i mean people are paying lots of hundreds of dollars for that game on sunday to go watch a team that has half of their defense on the field and how we get how many quarterbacks went down this year and i know there's no guarantees and guys get hurt right. all during the year but they need these guys. And I need to start getting some rest. All right, and, thanks, and Mark. Mark, I gotta, Mark. We jump. I, We're up against it.
0: I would encourage you to call back. This is a topic that we could go into deep uh, because there's a lot in it. And yeah. you're right; they are going to go to 18
1: games, but they're probably going to go right to the tasker plan, which teams. has two bye weeks. But be... should also have expanded rosters to take the load off of the players that are under tremendous demand all season. We've got a whole off season to talk about it. Oh my! That's gosh. it for us today. We'll see you tomorrow at one.